Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com. Joined, for the first time in, in a long time, I think it's been almost a month, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, it's been a while. How are things going? Things are going great, Josh. Apologies for the audio. I don't have my headset today, so I'm going to try this. Um, coaching my kids' Little League games, and they're doing well. My 12-year-old got a huge hit in the, at the end to tie the game, and they ended up coming back and winning, so I'm very happy about that. So baseball is fun. Awesome. I, I love that. I agree baseball is fun. Uh, I'm Arizona has turned into Arizona. So you know you know how a couple months ago, January, February, we do these check-ins at the beginning of the episode, and you'd say, oh, it's pouring outside. And I'd say, really? It's it's 80 and sunny, not a cloud in the sky. <laughs> well, now it's 113, and it's terrible. And there's no end in sight. It's going to be like this for another few months. I, our AC is potentially a little on the fritz. Uh, it, it's terrible. I'm sweating inside the house most days. It's not fun. You live in an oven. Consider moving. I am, <laughs> but, but it's a dry heat. It, that makes it fine. Right. Right. That's, that's what everyone says. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, we've got a lot to talk about on this episode. We not, not a whole lot of news to get into, you know, it's been pretty quiet on the transaction front. Uh, there's a couple minor bits here and there that we want to get to, but most importantly is we just finished up our next round of updates. So every player in our model, every major league player has been updated for uh, performance through the end of May. So got a whole lot of numbers, a whole lot of trends to talk about, some really interesting players to pick out. And uh, that's going to be the bulk of this episode. So we know we got a lot ahead of us. Let's just jump into it. Start out with some of those minor transactions. Uh, like I said, not a whole lot to talk about here. Um, there's been a handful of, you know, those cash considerations types trades. We just wanted to mention that you know, all of those, we log all of those, they all come through, all of the player gets DFA'd and gets traded for cash, you know, the whole Mike Ford adventure back and forth and back and forth and every different team, we, we log all of that and we just keep an eye on it. Um, nothing that's come through the system has been too out of line with expectations with our values, you know, we're not seeing any guys in the threes getting DFA'd or, or traded for nothing or whatever. Uh, everything is tracking with the model, so pretty much just giving an update there. I guess if we really want to force it we can mention the uh phillies giants recent trade uh the phillies picked up michael plasmeyer left-handed pitcher at 0.4 from the giants as along with cash considerations which we don't know the value of yet um and in return the giants received catcher austin wins at zero million and that was really more notable for what it meant for the giants because as the corresponding move there they optioned joey bart to the minor leagues and he's just been pretty terrible he's he's looking a lot more like mike zunino than he does like buster posey um and, and that clearly i mean we, we'll, we'll get into that all a little bit later but it, it impacts his trade value and we're going to talk about that more and more throughout the episode how these guys that get optioned down that can be pretty telling that the team just isn't isn't going to give them a chance at the big leagues anymore that they've kind of soured on them a little bit and that other teams are going to be thinking along those lines as well so not looking too great for Bart. Um, luckily, the Giants have a couple other catchers in their system that are at least kind of interesting. But right now, at the big league level, it's not looking too great. And it kind of makes you wonder if there might be a fit for a guy like uh, Wilson Contreras at the deadline. Obviously, that's two months out, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. But yeah, that, that it's, it's unfortunate that the biggest trade 
arguably that we've had in the last few weeks since we last recorded <laughs> it, it doesn't even matter for the players in the trade it just matters for the one player that it impacts outside of the trade but Anyway, John, any anything else from these minor transactions or for that trade in particular? No, just, you know, remember that joke that Farhan Zaidi made at uh, Buster Posey's retirement <laughs> announcement? It's like, really? I, you, you can't change your mind? You know, like, like he really was, like, nervous, like, oh, crap. Well, how am I going to replace Buster Posey? Well, now you see, he can't replace Buster Posey, and he's trying. But Austin wins is probably not the answer. He's just a stopgap, you know, career backup catcher, not much, you know, going on there. Um, it is telling that Joey Bart is, you know, in our model, he's been declining in value since he was a top uh, draft choice and top prospect. And the more you fail at the major league level, to be blunt, the the more your value goes down to the point where if you eventually just sort of run out of options, you're not going to be worth much of anything anymore. So until Joey Bart fixes his the holes in his swing that pitchers are taking advantage of, there's not going to be much there. Yeah, the it really feels like they i mean it, the buster posey retirement caught everyone a little bit off guard i'm sure the giants knew about it a little bit before the media did but it it didn't seem like it was a part of their plans necessarily i i think they were hoping for a season uh where the two of them could truly overlap because you know bart didn't see too much major league time in 2021 2020 buster posey opted out so they didn't really get that opportunity together and you know we you can argue about what that actually how meaningful that actually is to have an opportunity to to be backing up a guy like posey and you know obviously even if they weren't on the field together too often they at least you know spring training together and i'm sure they work together plenty and and probably to this day still have an open open line of communication there and you can argue about how much that's actually worth uh, but you're you're absolutely right there that I, I think this wasn't the plan. <laughs> um, just just to mention the values here real quick. Um, uh, as of June 1st, we had Bart in the system at 21.7. And then after the latest update, he's down to 13.7. And so, you know, it's these, these values will change in either direction based on performance. So him bumping down to 13.7 isn't saying that, oh, he's just not worth anything anymore. It's It's no. He can make his way back here. And if he whether it's, you know, carving out a valuable role kind of like Zunino has, where it's driven by defense and just enough power to keep the bat usable, he can do that. Or if he just clicks somewhere and learns how to hit the ball more consistently, put it in play, and also tap into some of that power, maybe that's a way for him to really get back to it. But right now, you can consider him kind of a falling knife, and, and it's pretty indicative that a team like the Giants would so aggressively send him down to the minors still fairly early in the season. Yeah, and one note on that, you know, the model model we have, especially for young, unproven players, is a lot based on probability. It's probabilistic. So the probability of being, if him being a successful major leaguer keeps going down, the more he fails at it, basically. You know, the more you succeed and succeed at a higher impact, the more, you know, your value goes up. I'm thinking perhaps of Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays, who came on last year, is had a very successful first year or so and his value has skyrocketed. So the prop because the probability of him being successful keeps going up and up and up to the point where he's fully established himself. On the opposite side you have a guy like Joey Bart whose value keeps going down because the probability of him being successful goes lower. Said another way, the probability of him being a bust is going higher. So the closer he gets to zero, that's what that's representing. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Now on to DFAs. Again, nothing too big here. Um, and, and just while we're on that kind of BART topic, uh, two other guys that fit into a similar-ish category. Obviously, nowhere near the value of a guy like BART and nowhere near the remaining promise of him. But Willie Calhoun was DFA'd and, and passed through waivers, and, and he made headlines for reportedly requesting a trade. And along the same lines, Miguel Andujar with the Yankees was optioned to AAA and also requested a trade. And now these are two guys that don't have any kind of defensive value they really need to hit to stick and they're not hitting and so Calhoun out of options Andujar I believe this is his last option uh, I would have to double check that but fine. yeah but just just no real value for either of those two guys so they can request the trade all they want and you know maybe if they had a little bit of value their teams would have already traded them for an interesting reliever or whatever but uh, they're both pretty much at zero if not below zero and there's don't expect too much there in, in terms of a trade uh, even even if it does happen and, and that's not even a guarantee either um a couple other notable dfas that i just want to mention drew steckenrider just dfa'd and he was pretty good last year so he had a little bit of value left so a little bit surprising um clint frazier there was some there was a little bit of noise when the cubs signed him about you know oh he he's got the potential still and you know part of what troubled him in new york was the media and and part of it was vertigo that he was dealing with i believe it was and, and that can really mess with the hitter uh but he just didn't quite he wasn't terrible for the cubs or anything but he didn't really do anything too inspiring for them either and so they cut bait there i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised at all if he caught on with some other uh disappointing team <laughs> somewhere else um yeah it's still possible just, they could trade him for mm -hmm you know, a very, very minor prospect, you know, and, but he doesn't have any value in our model because they signed him for a little bit of money. Um, so, so he's a little bit underwater, but, you know, like you said, he's not, he wasn't that terrible with the bat, so they could kick in a little cash and get a little something back just for another flyer, a rebuilding team, like the Orioles could take a shot at him. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then just perusing the other list of DFAs just for any other significant names the the biggest one that pops out is dallas keichel it's it seems like he's washed <laughs> he did go ahead and sign a after he cleared waivers uh, he signed a minor league deal with the diamondbacks and so he will be reunited with old pitching coach brent strom and so maybe uh but i'm not i'm not holding my breath at all there keichel's he obviously was never a velo guy but when you're already starting starting at such a low baseline for velo you don't really have far to fall before you're just kind of unusable we've seen it a lot with guys you know mike fires comes to mind kyle Hendricks is kind of in that decline phase right now it's we'll see how much time he has left before he's in this territory but yeah i'm not seeing anything really there for keichel yeah he's too easy to hit he's got no velo mm -hmm. as you mentioned and you know and, <clears throat> and i'm not sure what else. i'm not a pitching expert but but clearly he was getting hit and so he can't like video guys have a very you know small margin of error right and if they can't perfectly pinpoint locate their spots or confuse the hitters then they're just going to get shelled that's what seemed to be happening with him yeah um just a couple last names cole tucker former top prospect can't hit <laughs> um roman quinn was dfa'd uh, i'm not seeing anything else to stand out here i guess one last name i want to mention uh, is albert abreu and not because Albert Abreu is any kind of a big deal on his own, but just because of the trade that brought him to the Rangers before he was DFA'd. 
Uh, they, I believe there was a third player involved that I'm blanking on right now. Yeah, it was a, it was a lower level prospect whose name you yeah. have to look up. It was a Brayu and, and and that other prospect, I believe, to the Rangers. Right. Or, or did no, that to the Yankees. Oh, okay, okay. So a Brayu to the Rangers and that prospect who John is working to find, <laughs> as well as catcher Jose Trevino to the uh, to the Yankees, and Trevino has been excellent and. It's been a pretty small sample size, but he's been a very valuable catcher for them. And and even at the time of that trade, I think it was accepted by our model as a moderate overpay. Uh, we had a Brayu as a non-tender candidate, as a pretty close to zero value type guy. And we had Trevino with a couple million, I believe, as a backup catcher type who had a decent glove and could hit a little bit, that kind of guy. Um, and so we were not necessarily floored by that trade or anything, but a little bit surprised that that was all they could get. Um, and I, I personally liked that trade a lot for the Yankees at the time, and it has definitely seemed like it's worked out in their favor. Even if, even if Trevino is just riding a hot streak and the rest of the season he is a backup catcher, well, a backup catcher is more valuable than a reliever that gets DFA'd in June. So, yeah, I believe the other piece right. was a guy named Robert Alstrom, who we have at zero point. Ah. so it was a good deal for the Yankees. Yeah, definitely. Okay, moving on to a bit more exciting of a transaction to discuss. Um, the Astros signed designated hitter Jordan Alvarez to a six-year contract extension. Uh, it was the the grand total was six years, 115 million dollars. Um, I'm not seeing a club option here. Um, I thought I had heard of one, but it looks like there aren't any. Um, and that's pretty reasonably within the the uh, realm of. Uh, that was pretty reasonably within my expectations for a contract like this. I know, I believe it was Dan Simborski of Fangraphs uh, posted an article a couple weeks before that extension, uh, just running down some of the young next young wave of young players that could receive pre-arbitration or, or pre-free agency contract extensions. And he almost nailed Alvarez's contract on the money. He, he His projections we're right in line with this and it makes sense. You know, that Astro is a very analytical team. Um, as far as our numbers go between the contract extension and the next latest round of updates, it's hard to tell exactly which attributed to which because both were implemented at roughly the same time. Um, but previously his value was at 63.1. Now it's at 76 or 73.6. So not much has changed. Um, he remains a very good hitter. He remains a defensive liability and he remains an injury risk. And so it's kind of balancing all those things out. I think it's a, it's a fairly fair price for a guy with those with that kind of ceiling and with those concerns. You know, as a as a primary DH, you're never going to be reaching that 300 million mark that teams were starting to hand out to guys like Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols. And, and especially if you're a guy like Alvarez, who is nowhere near as proven as those guys, you're not going to get anywhere near that mark. Um, but this is a is a hefty chunk of money for a guy who's really one of the more underappreciated hitters in the game from a purely offensive standpoint. So, I mean, it works for me. It makes sense to me. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about it? No, not really. Other than to say with all of these types of extensions, there's always sort of give and take and a meet, meeting in the middle because the Astros did not have to do that. Um, they're buying out his his you know prime years he's 25 so he hasn't peaked yet uh, you could argue most players peak around 27 28 dhs sometimes can hold their peak a little bit longer because they're not playing defense 
And so, um, so they're getting some peak years, and they're just locking in sort of cost certainty. And the player is obviously locking in, you know, his, his paycheck for the next six years or so. So that's it works for both of them. There's plenty of surplus value there. But the thing is, because he's he was not close to being a free agent, he had no leverage. So so they're meeting in the middle. So therefore, that's why you still see our surplus value estimate. You know, it went up a little bit, but it didn't really change all that much. They're just basically locking in the numbers instead of going to arbitration. Yeah, which makes a ton of sense when you frame it that way. You know, they're they're not going to be paying him market rate in an extension because then what's what's in it for them? So it, and he's not going to be giving up all of his value in an extension because then what's in it for him? So it makes sense that the numbers would stay roughly the same. Right. Okay. Next up, we have a couple just little nuggets of news. Um, this is one that we're going to be addressing. We're probably going to be hearing about it every week between here and the trade deadline and then probably for months and months after that as well. Juan Soto. We're we're not quite in the peak of it right now. It seemed like a couple weeks ago everybody was talking about a Juan Soto trade every every day on Twitter and it seems like it's calmed down a little bit and for good reason. Uh but the the negative news that it's that we're centering this around is that uh on June first, uh, the Nationals GM Mike Rizzo very publicly stated that they are not trading Juan Soto. And I that that didn't come as a surprise at all to John or myself. Um, I'm pulling up the values right now, but Soto falls into that untradeable category because of just how much he's worth. You know, what return are they going to get for Juan Soto that's that's even close to his value right now? Even if they go pick up the two of the top five prospects in baseball, that might not catch up to Soto's value. And even if it does... With Soto being 23 years old, <laughs> those prospects are probably about his age, if if not potentially older. I mean, we have his value at 190.9 million. It, you you can't put a prospect package together to reach that number. No team has that kind of. I mean, there are teams with that kind of farm, but then we're talking into the ridiculous, you know, eight player package for him, and that's not going to happen. So he's untradeable from a value standpoint. I mean, if you're the Nationals. I don't know how you could ever justify trading a 23-year-old for who has had three very, very good major league seasons under his belt for a group of prospects that will probably be headlined by a 22-year-old who hasn't seen the big leagues. And if you're another team, it's going to be really tough for you to trade for Juan Soto using big league assets because theoretically, you're in the mix, you're contending, and you don't want to give up some of those good young players that might make it possible to trade for a Juan Soto. And even if the Nationals were on board with that, or I mean, even if you were on board with that, the Nationals very clearly wouldn't be because those guys would all probably be older than Juan Soto as well. So a very roundabout way for me to explain this, but between how high his value is and just how incredibly young he is, there's no way to find a trade that makes sense for the Nationals. You know, you can pull out your C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore proposal all you want, but there's no way the Nationals pull the trigger on that it just doesn't make sense for them right now they have no incentive to deal him right now you know he's his values it's going to come down as he gets closer to free agency but it's going to still going to stay very very high so if you know if they trade him at the next deadline let's say his value is in the 80 to 90 range then they get a massive prospect haul and it, it, it makes more sense you know and they've given it another year of contention they've given it another year of trying to extend him whatever so you can't, the argument of 
oh, his value is only going down from here and they're not going to make the playoffs this year, so trade him now. That doesn't make sense because it's not it's it's assuming that you can get market value for him right now and that's just not possible. I don't know. I've been rambling. Is there a more concise way you have of saying <laughs> what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah. So so I have a couple thoughts here. First of all, um there's never been any fire here. Um it was just noise from Buster only um just said, "Hey, what about this idea?" basically. And and because he's Buster only because he has a, a platform on ESPN, people thought, "Oh, he must know something. Oh, he must be connected." And so People thought that had some, you know, where there was smoke, there was fire. There was never any fire. He was just saying, he was just speculating. And then other people started speculating because, you know, the internet is an echo chamber. And so next thing you know, it's like, oh, Juan Soto's, you know, there's trade rumors about Juan Soto. And then other outlets are picking up, should Juan Soto be traded? Where would he go? And like, it becomes this whole weird ecosystem thing it was based on nothing, which is why Rizzo had to come out and say, no, stop, we're not trading him. So that's the first point. The second point is, yes, I agree with all your points. He's untradeable. Um, there is one scenario where, you know, um, you could sort of work it out. And that is if you attached him to bad contracts. There's two hugely bad contracts on the Nationals books. Uh, the biggest one is Steven Strasburg, who has barely pitched in the last two years and is still owed a huge amount of money. Very negative. The most negative contract, uh, most negative value player as a result that we have in our system. You could attach that, and you wouldn't have to give up that much else because you're you're taking on such an ugly contract, and or the Patrick Corbin contract, not quite as ugly as 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 uh, Strasburg's, but Corbin is having another terrible year, and he still owed a lot of money. So so you could reduce the amount you give up by taking one of those one or both of those bad contracts. Uh, but the only reason that the Nats would have to do that would be to clear their books. And then the only reason why they would clear their books is because there's rumors that they would be for sale. And if you want the new buyer to say, okay, let me just sort of clear the books and get a, a clean slate, then maybe you do it for that reason. Uh, but that doesn't make any baseball sense uh, because you're giving away, you know, potential Hall of Famer uh, who's only 23 and has got his, still his best years ahead of him. Um, you know, and so arguably, if you if you're a potential buyer of the Nats, if they are indeed selling, you know, you could say, well, I want, I want, I want to keep that guy. That's the guy you build around and which makes total sense. Um, but then that gets into, do you extend him? Because you've only got him for two and a half more years. And so um, there's an interesting sort of what if there, and maybe that's what Buster only was sort of speculating about because maybe he was thinking, okay, well, you know, um, Maybe maybe there's some angle there with a with a potential sale, you know, but then you can make just as much of an argument for keeping him as trading him. Uh, it really comes down to: Do you want to attach him to a bad contract? How much do you want to get rid of that money that you owe? Because they backloaded those contracts for Strasburg and Corbin. That's a lot of money that they still owe. So it really comes down to that question, in my view: Is how important is that money uh, against how important is Soto to a future buyer? I I don't think any of us can answer that question, um, but I, I'm going with Rizzo on this, and he was absolutely firm, saying, no, stop, we're not trading Soto, and that's that. That's all we need to know. Yeah, the sale, you can make... I don't know how to make an argument about of the sale being the reason that actually makes sense. Because, you know, th there's two ways you can do it. You can either trade him right before the sale, in which case the learners... I, I, I don't know if they're okay with that. Would you want on your way out the door to be 
oh, we traded one of the best players in baseball, the next Ted Williams. We traded him and bye, we're bailing. Like, is that a, that's not a great look. And I mean, I know looks aren't everything, but to some of these guys, it really matters. And so you don't want that that to be your legacy with the team. The new owner doesn't want their, their legacy starting with the team, their first real uh, first impression with the team to be, yeah, we told them to get rid of Soto. So we didn't have to deal with that. So it didn't look bad if, if for us doing it. And they, of course, don't want that to be the first thing they do. Plus, if if you're buying the Washington Nationals, you should be doing so with the intent of finding players like Juan Soto and making them lifetime nationals, right? Like if you're buying the nationals, it shouldn't be just to strip things down to the bones and, and squeeze every penny out of it. And it sounds like there's a lot of potential buyers for the nationals. It sounds like there's something of a bidding war happening. I mean, these things are always pretty quiet until the sale happens. Um, but I think from some of the reports I've said, there's there's a handful of interested buyers. And in that case, you know, there's bound to be a few of them that are willing to invest in the team. So I don't see how any of it makes sense. I don't see how trading Soto makes the team more attractive to a buyer unless and even if you're if, as you're saying, they are able to tack it on to a Steven Strasburg or whatever. I, I don't know if that I, that feels very short sighted to me. So I don't I don't know if there is an angle to the whole sale part of this that really makes as strong of an argument as some people might think it would. And not not saying that you're suggesting that at all. No, I'm not. I'm saying I'm just going to go with what Rizzo was saying. And it was an absolute firm no. And I can see why, because he's untradeable from a prospect standpoint. And, you know, um, I don't know enough about the ins and outs of the deal if they are selling but you would think that you would want your best asset in the deal if you are, in fact, you know, selling them to a new buyer. So let's leave it at that. Yeah, I'm sure this will come up many times between now and August 2nd, unfortunately. All right, last little bit of news. Uh, the Mets optioned Dominic Smith to AAA. And this, I mean, it, it, the headline itself might be a bit surprising, but when you look at any of the numbers and if you've been in tune with how his value's just been plummeting these last couple of years it's it's not much of a surprise at all uh this season in 101 plate appearances he slashed 186 287 256 and that's just not going to work if once again you're a guy with just no defensive value you're up there to hit and you're not hitting that that's not going to cut it um I, I know he wasn't getting full everyday playing time you know been jostled around a little bit because the Mets just have a pretty pretty loaded lineup a lot of moving parts there a lot of guys that need some dh at bats for either days off or just because they don't have much defense either but this this is pretty pretty clear indication that yes our values are in line here dominic smith has very little value the mets aren't using him he hasn't been traded yet and, and if he were traded don't expect a whole lot in return for him yep um there was i think about a year ago when we had him, his value pretty low, and we were basically saying that same thing. It was a little bit more of a let's take a stand here and saying, yeah, he's not really showing it. Uh, and some people disagree, particularly Mets fans, but I don't see any disagreement now. <laughs> and then the fact that he was optioned down confirms it. So, yeah, I don't think there's any value left there at all. Yeah. Okay, and I think now that's all for the news, and we are ready to start talking about updates. So. Uh, John's going to kick us off with pitchers, but do you have anything to start with? Any general trends or any just kind of 
updates to the updates Any, anything else to mention before we get into the individual players um you know it's still relatively early in the season so some of the numbers are still a little bit noisy i would say um you know we're at the point where some teams are saying okay what do we got I think it was Billy Bean who said, okay, I spent the first two months just sort of seeing what I got. And the next two months, sort of sorting it out. And the last two months. And then, and then you know, approach the trade deadline with, like, a plan. And then and then hopefully right out the stretch. Um, so they kind of cut the season in thirds. So we're at the one-third mark, more or less. Um, but the numbers are still somewhat noisy, I would say, in that, you know, some some hitters got off to really bad starts, as you'll point out, I'm sure. And so there's some regression to the mean that some of our numbers sort of are projecting because, you know, if a guy was a three-war player and he's starting off with negative 0.5 or whatever, like you think, okay, well, he's got a, he may not have a three-war season again, but he's not that bad, right? So it may look a little weird because we still have him, you know, somewhat positively. Uh, so a lot of people say, oh, look how, how terrible he's doing. He must have totally lost his trade value. You want Mankata comes to mind. Um, but no, he was a four or five war win player before, and so the sample size isn't quite big enough yet to drag down some of these players' values. And some of the regression to the mean that's built into some of these models um, would suggest, though, okay, they're probably going to mean revert. And you're starting to see it. You're starting to see Marcus Simeon hit after a terrible start. You're starting to see other players starting to hit. There, there was um, chatter about the dead ball, and maybe it's a new ball, and now it's you know, balls that were following in the warning track are now going out of the park, and so that's helping people's numbers. And so the pitchers had more of an advantage, I think, in the first month or two. Um, and now you're seeing, seeing it equalize a little bit um, with hitters sort of coming back. So I think that's the general trend I've noticed. Yeah, I, I'm on board with you there. And one other thing I want to point out as well that I think gets a little bit overlooked um, is that throughout, uh, it's going to be different for every player. You know, there's going to be players who, get really hot and that pushes their value up and there's going to be players who get cold and it pushes their value down. But then there's the prospects in the middle and the, I mean the post prospects, excuse me, in the middle, the guys who, the guys who don't quite have, um, they haven't established themselves solidly as big leaguers. And so we still blend as uh, their prospect ranking with and their prospect value with their major league performance value. And so that can get kind of wonky and it can be, oh, he's performing really well in the big leagues, but he was a top three prospect in baseball and he's getting farther and farther away from that prospect status. And so his value is going to go down a little bit, things like that. And just in general, the idea that as the season goes on, unless a player gets extended or he gets optioned and his service time gets gamed or whatever, he's not gaining any team control throughout the season. He's just losing it. And would you rather have three years of a guy or two and a half years of the guy? It's it's pretty obvious. The guy with, you know, when he has three years left on his contract, he's going to be worth more, all else being equal. So sometimes that outpaces an increase in performance or just continued solid performance. And I think that's something that gets a little bit forgotten that, you know, of course, he's going to have even though even if he's been hitting well, he might have less trade value today than he did a month ago because that team doesn't get that extra month of the player that they would have if they traded for him a month ago. Um, it, it seems like a very basic premise, but it gets kind of overlooked at times. Okay, so I think we're good on that. Um, do you want to kick it off with some pitchers, get into some of the specific guys? Yeah, sure. So let's start with starting pitchers. Um, you know, one of the most interesting cases is Nestor Cortez of the Yankees, who was a journeyman reliever, didn't have any success until 
you know, last year, a lot of people credit Matt Blake, the Yankees hitting coach, for fixing him or finding something and, and optimizing it. I don't know. But, you know, when he had such a good sort of second half last year, everyone was skeptical, including me, including our model. Like, is he still a journeyman reliever? Is that real? You know, it was like a sort of a breakout last year. And then this year, he's still doing it. And so like, okay, maybe it is real. And now people are talking about him. Hey, he's a Cy Young candidate. Hey, he's going to start the All-Star game. Nestor Cortez is better than Garrett Cole. I mean, like, that's it's getting a little crazy, but you got to admit the guy is he's dealing. So if he keeps doing this, his values continue to go up. So, you know, we've kind of moved past the state of, is he sort of a reliever that's going to come back down to earth or is he now a starter who's just going to keep doing this? And he's somewhere sort of in the middle. There's a spectrum there. So he's going up. And so I think he went up from 16, you know, he was nothing. And then he went up to 16 at the, in the off season. Now he's, I think up to 23. So that's a wonderful story. Um, so that's one. Uh, Luis Castillo, um, when he was injured in our in our sort of first update, we didn't have much to go on. Uh, now he seems healthy, with an asterisk because he's had a, you know a couple of injury issues, but but more or less it seemed like he was the Luis Castillo that you would expect. And so, from a trade value standpoint, you know there's a lot of teams that need a top of the rotation starter, and it seems like the Reds have sort of got him going. So uh, so he's his value has come back up. I think he's back at forty. Um, Martin Perez is another one of these guys who the Rangers seem to have a knack for finding these veterans who they sort of, you know, restore value on. I will say that there's an asterisk with Martin Perez though, because he's done this before and then he tends to fall off in the second half. And I think teams may be wary of that. Nonetheless, he's had a great first half and I'm sure there will be interest in him as a rental. Uh, and the Rangers have a tendency, like I said, to flip their rentals. So, uh, look for him to be a candidate. Um, and there's just a couple other guys that are younger that seem to be, to your point about the um, blending of the um, you know prospect value with their major league value. These guys are performing at the major league level. So Shane McClanahan, Tarek Skubal, uh, Alec Manoa have all seen their values go up and up and up. The more they perform at this level, you know, the more that's going to happen. So good for them. Yeah, on Martin Perez, you know, he seems a lot more like a Kyle Gibson than like a Mike Miner or a Lance Lynn. Um, I think teams are going to be pretty, they know they know he's still Martin Perez. He might be a better version of Martin Perez, but he hasn't reworked himself into, you know, a frontline starter like Lance Lynn seemed to do in Texas. I, I think teams are going to be pretty cognizant of that. They know that they get him. It's going to be a rental. He's not necessarily going to be a guy that they want to keep around for a few more years and, and they're betting on this kind of thing. Um, but that being said, there's going to be plenty of interest there. I think we're headed for a really interesting trade season uh, with the expanded playoffs. So many more teams think they're in it and there aren't quite as many clear sellers as there were before. And so the list of off the top of your head, starting pitchers who could get moved, it goes Castillo Montas and then, huh? <laughs> right. It's Castillo Montas and it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of guys like Martin Perez, yeah. just these like, veteran one-year type guys who might be having an okay season it's oh maybe maybe will the A's move Paul Blackburn for something will will the Reds sell low on Tyler Maley if he isn't pitching better by the deadline it it gets into that territory yeah so guys like you know there's not going to be a bidding war for Martin Perez to the point where he costs a top top prospect that's that never happens teams don't let that happen they aren't that short-sighted 
if that were the case, if that's if the Rangers are sticking on a price like that for Martin Perez, teams would much rather go just get a couple relievers and lengthen the bullpen. And I don't know, maybe pick up Tyler Anderson from the Dodgers if they move. Uh, I forgot he was on the Dodgers. <laughs> the Dodgers aren't moving Tyler Anderson, but a guy like him who's, you know, pitching to a 4 or 4.20 ERA and they can expect him to continue to do that rather than paying way high price for a couple months of Martin Perez. So that's not going to happen. His value still probably has a little bit of room to go up if he if he keeps pitching like this up to August 2nd. I think there will be some significant interest in there, but uh yeah. Completely agree he's not going to be a a guy that teams are really losing themselves to to trade for. Right. Okay. And then not much on the reliever front. Um David Bednar continues to go up. I'm I'm um I guess I guess surprise isn't the right word because people seem to think that um oh he's a trade candidate but you know the the pirates control him through 2026 he's still pre-arb you know and they're showing some signs of life there's no reason for them to trade david bednar which is another reason why his value is high um clay holmes has a breakout has had a breakout year with the yankees he's effectively become their new closer and his value has gone up because he was already an arb one at a very low cost which means his arb two and r three are probably going to be reasonably cost as uh cost efficient as well and but obviously the Yankees are not trading them because they're best team in baseball right now from a record standpoint. So um, so so those relievers, you know, I don't think are moving. So when you look at the reliever market, you got to go, hmm, uh, you know what what you know. Dan, um, excuse me, uh, Daniel Robertson of the Cubs um, is a candidate. He's having a good year, but we also expect some mean regression, which is, and he's also on a decent salary, and you know he's had a spotty last couple of years, so. I think he will have a lot of interest, but we want to see a little bit more data before he becomes like, you know, more positive value. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on. Um, you know, other than that, not seeing any huge names. I'm hearing some noise that the, you know, guys from the Royals might be of interest. There's Scott Barlow, there's Josh Stalmont because the uh, Royals are having another bad season. Um, so those guys still have good value. Um, I'm not sure. Um, you know, you never know what the Royals are going to do because they've been sort of unpredictable the last couple of years, and those guys still have some years of control. Uh, Tanner Rainey is having a bounce back year with the Nationals, but not as much as he would, you know, his value hasn't gone up all that much. He's also out of options, and he's been sort of injury-prone and inconsistent. So if he does get moved, it would be probably just for a minor prospect. Um, so, you know, that's about all I can see um, in terms of, risers um that look like they might be movable pieces so that's about it yeah a uh, quick correction it's david robertson you said daniel daniel's the influence. i'm sorry i always get those things conf- <laughs> those two guys well, confused i can never remember which one is which there was also another daniel robertson for a ah. couple years he played the outfield for the rangers that that was a fun time oh my gosh um the the one other team that comes to mind in this discussion and i really hope they don't they don't remain in this spot but the angels um i've taken to the angels pretty strongly i mean it's hard not to at least somewhat root for them you we want to see trout and otani back in the playoffs that's that's it (laughs) um and i think i think they still have it in them as a team but they've been struggling lately if they continue to struggle i don't think they're pulling the plug on rasiel iglesias anytime soon they gave him a lot of money but I wonder if Aaron Loop, Ryan Tapera, even if those guys aren't lighting the world on fire right now, 
they're useful veterans. You know, some team would take a chance on them if if the Angels did decide to uh, either sell or or kind of have a mixed buy sell type thing. Yeah, at yeah. The deadline if they stay where they are right now. Yeah, and there's a you know bunch of other guys you could throw in that mix too. Andrew Chafin of the Tigers, and you know guys that sort of know how to do the job and been around the block. Um, they may not be risers necessarily or a model, but they might still have some value at the deadline. Yep. All right. Uh, was that all for your pitching risers? Yep. Okay. We're moving on to the hitters. Um, as John mentioned, but as I want to kind of reiterate here, uh, collectively the hitters seem to go up and, you know, in a lot of cases it was just a little bit, um, I'm going to be mentioning the ones that were more standout or more significant, but it's a case it's it's in addition to the mean regression that John mentioned it's also a case of the the first round of updates when nobody could hit all the hitters kind of went down and so you know they're they're not coming up from necessarily from their preseason values but they're coming up from the dip that they just had after a pretty bad first month so that needs to be kept in mind as well if you're if you are noticing or are wondering why all these hitters went up that's that's part of it as well uh, we're going to start with Pete Alonso. Uh, he's up to 40.4. He was at 18.5, so that's a pretty significant jump. He's been continuing to just club the ball. You know, he he's maybe not the most consistent power hitter. Uh, he had a bit of a dip there for a couple years, but he he looks like he's a pretty solid hitter. I mean, he's he's not going to provide any defensive value, and he's going to be getting more expensive, but he's a quality hitter, and his value reflects that now. Sticking with the Mets, Brandon Nimmo is really interesting uh, he's up to 24.8 which is you know that's not lighting the world on fire but when you consider that he's a free agent at the end of the year and so he's at 24.8 million for you know two-thirds of a season of him that are remaining uh, that's that's considerable that actually has him as if i pull up my notes here uh, that has him as either the third or fourth most valuable pending free agent um third or fourth, depending on whether you think Jacob deGrom will, will opt out. Uh, but he's just behind Trey Turner and Judge. And I don't think Nimmo gets mentioned in the same sentence as those guys too often. So uh, that's impressive. Again, not that he's going to be traded anywhere because the Mets are good and he's a big part of that team. Uh, but he could be setting himself up for a pretty solid payday when he hits free agency. Uh, Luis Arias is Rod Carew, or he's Tony Gwynn, whichever one you, you prefer there. Uh, I love him. He's he's incredible. <laughs> I don't want to get too excited about him. You know, the defense is not great. Um, he's been playing a lot of first base. He's not great at second base, not great in the outfield. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot of power there. There's, he doesn't walk a ton, but he just hits the ball. He's got insane bat skills, and he's up to a 34.6 uh, in value. It's It's been an impressive rise for him. He's still pretty young. Uh, and again, not a guy the Twins are lining up to trade, but uh, worth mentioning. I, I thought it was interesting. Both Contreras brothers went up. They're both really hot right now. Uh, William Contreras for the Braves is up to 29.9. Uh, I believe before, yeah, he was at 15.5. That's a pretty significant jump, almost doubling his value. Uh, he's still got a whole lot of team control left, I believe six years. And, you know, it maybe makes their... Their trade from the last offseason where they sent Shea Langerlier's uh, top catching prospect when they sent him to Oakland in the Matt Olson deal. Uh, this is maybe making that look a little bit better because they got a pretty solid young catcher still on the team in Contreras. And he wasn't a uh, top, top prospect. I don't think he was ever quite as valuable as Langerlier's was or is right now. Uh, but he was a notable catching prospect. And so definitely one to keep an eye on. I don't 
uh, he's not going to keep this up, but it's also, you know, there's reason to believe he's just a quality player. And then Wilson Contreras, uh, pending free agent as well, uh, as well as Nimmo. Um, but Contreras is at 13.7. Um, taking a look previously, he was at 11. So it's not a huge jump, but anytime a pending free agent increases after a month gets taken off, it's it's pretty notable. Uh, it's just because he's playing pretty well and he maybe didn't have the best 2021 season, but he's playing pretty well this year. And uh, the Cubs are, I, I don't know if the Cubs will trade him. They've been kind of wishy-washy on, on him. I was surprised he made it this long with the team. I think they very much should trade him. And it seems like they'll get something pretty decent back if they do. Um, just a handful more here. I, I know this has already been <laughs> a good chunk. Paul Goldschmidt, he's on fire. He went from negative 4.6, and now he's in the positive at 20.8. Um, again, not a trade candidate, but he's just clubbing the ball. The Blue Jays, two catchers both went up. Uh, Alejandro Kirk is up to a 53.4 uh, from previously 28. So he nearly, or he more than doubled, excuse me. No, nearly doubled. Math is hard. Uh, he nearly doubled. Um, it, it's been an improvement on both sides of the ball. He's really hitting well, and he's turned himself into a solid defensive catcher. His framing has really taken a step up, and so maybe he's not that purely bat guy that we that you know shadows behind the plate a few times a week. Um, he's he's a capable catcher now, and that's a pretty huge development for him. Jansen has been destroying the ball every time he's on the field. He just can't stay on the field. Uh, he's up to 39.9 uh, from 24.5, but he's really just having trouble staying healthy. Uh, Trevor Story's moved up a little bit. He had a very terrible start to the season. He was at negative 36.1. Now he's at negative 1.6. He got really hot near the end of May. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of what we expected. And we there have been some cases of just a slight bit of uh, of a hangover of a delay when you leave Coors Field. Obviously, there's the Coors Field hangover effect for current Rockies players, you know, when they head to the road, it, it gets harder to hit because the pitches just move differently. But I think we've also seen it on a larger scale with guys who leave there. Um, we haven't seen the concerns that everybody has that, oh, he can't hit out, of, he can't hit on the road as a Rocky, so he's just not going to hit it all on another team. Like, that's been pretty strongly refuted, you know. DJ LeMahieu can hit, and so can Nolan Arenado, and so could Corey Dickerson when he left, so could Matt Holliday when he left, so... That's not really a thing anymore, but I think there still might be just a little bit of a hangover. Combine that with, you know, the dead ball. Combine that with joining a new team. There's always a bit of a hangover there as well. And it pretty reasonably explains why Trevor Story got off to such a slow start and why now he's looking like the contract was pretty fair value, which makes sense. Uh, Glaber Torres is hitting very well. Um, he, he's turned himself back into a productive big leaguer for the Yankees. He's at 25.3. Uh, previously, he was at 9.5. Um, so he he was a guy that was kind of a trade candidate last offseason, and now it's seeming like a good decision by the Yankees to hang on to him. Kyle Tucker, he's just really good. <laughs> he went up from 96.9 to 137. He's probably the next guy the Astros look into extending after they got uh, Jordan Alvarez done. Dalton Varsho, I know I mentioned him last time as a riser after the last month of updates, and he just keeps getting better. Uh, he went from 72.3 to 89.6. He's looking like a really, really good, really fun, really versatile player that really just provides value in every part of the game. He plays two very demanding defensive positions, and he plays them both pretty well in catcher and center field. He's got good speed. He's got some power. He's got on-base ability. He hits the ball well. There's nothing nothing to dislike here. Varsho's a great player. 
Um, and then, yes, this is the last riser, I promise. <laughs> Taylor Ward. Uh, he went up pretty significantly, and that's just because he's been crushing it. Um, uh, whose previous value is 20.5. By the time you're listening to this, his new value will be uh, updated. We do have to go take a look at it again because it looks a little bit higher than it maybe should be. Uh, but do know that he is increasing. He really went from just kind of a nothing bench type guy. And, and as the season continues, he's just proving and proving even more so that he can hit and he can provide some defensive value. And he's just a good young player with lots of team control. He's exactly the type of guy the Angels have needed to kind of break out um, to help them beyond just Trout and Otani. So uh, fun one there, fun story. And yeah, those are all my hitting risers. Um, like I said, there, there's a couple reasons for, for just the across-the-board kind of increase in offense, and so I wouldn't be too worried about it long-term or, or worried about it really messing up any values. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of guys to get excited about there. Yeah, so a couple of comments on that one is, so for, for the guys who have long-term fixed contracts like Trevor Story, you know, those can kind of, you know, <clears throat> um, sometimes they look like they're big moves, and that's because you know the the change the numbers to, um, change in one year get have a ripple effect on the pre on the subsequent years, and so um, those are a little bit more unstable because of that. Like it's like you mentioned, Wilson Contreras went from eleven to thirteen. He's obviously only got less than one year of control, and that makes sense because that's a more typical sort of change. Um, but you know, one good you know change with Trevor Story can kind of take take him from negative deeply negative to not so negative so so that's because of the amplification effect of the long-term contract and to the earlier point you know one bad month was a small sample size so you know we can't take those first numbers those first month numbers too seriously now they're starting to stabilize and now you see them getting closer to what they signed for or at least in story's case um the second point i would make is you know we talk sometimes about trade value doubling or tripling or whatever it is um but that's really the outcome of several factors. Its performance is obviously a big driver, but time and salary are also the other big drivers. So, um, you know, time is eroding, obviously, and salary is eroding with time. Um, so those things are all sort of moving parts. And so it's not just the performance that sometimes changes it. It's sometimes the moving of those parts as well. And so the the when you think about, you know, uh, trade value doubling or whatever, it's really sort of the outcome outcome of those variables changing and those are three major variables and so it's not quite just because somebody had a performance change you know don't think about it that way and i'm talking to the listeners here um think about it as like the product of those three variables changing yeah and to your point about fixed value contracts it's it's a little bit counterintuitive because you would think that the fixed value guys we know their contracts their values should be more stable and the ones that don't really have contracts yet, like we should see big jumps there. But the missing factor there is that the variable contracts change with performance to an extent. You know, we're we're projecting, you know, for a pre-arb guy, if he becomes a more valuable player in his second year of pre-arb, then, you know, we would have to account for that, that he's going to be a good player in his second year and probably a pretty good player in his third year. And then, oh, look at that. He's hit arbitration and his arbitration salary is based off of this new baseline of him being a good player. So it, because arbitration, and it obviously isn't anywhere near a perfect system and it doesn't play, it doesn't pay players exactly what they're worth. And it's, you know, it looks at some factors that aren't necessarily important and yada, yada, yada. We can talk about the arbitration system all day, but 
at at its core, it will fluctuate with a player's performance. It will match their performance to an extent. And so as a player's performance, a young player's performance increases, their future salary commitment increases as well. And that gets into your second point there about how it's not just his performance. He, he's twice as good of a ball player now, so his value is twice as high. Even if he is expected to be twice as productive, well, maybe his salary is one and a half times as much as it was projected to be before or whatever the case may be. Right. So yeah, yeah, definitely an important distinction to be made there. Yeah. So, so arbitration projection projected salaries will fluctuate with the performance because they're, they're based to some degree on that. So that's a good point. All right. Are you ready to head into the pitching fallers? Fallers is a weird word. I wish there was is there another word. Uh, droppers uh, decliners. Or... <laughs> yeah. Decliners. <laughs> I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Who are it, the sounds pitchers, like a, pitching... it sounds like a well, alt country rock band. I don't know. Welcome yeah, the well, decliners. Because <laughs> risers and decliners doesn't flow I know, I well know. either. Increasers um, and decliners, that doesn't have a great ring either. Incliners and decliners. There we go. <laughs> I don't okay. know. We'll workshop it. Send us a tweet. Send us emails. We'll work on it. Right. Okay, and I think we need a sad trombone now because sad. These are sad stories. Uh, you mentioned um, Kyle Hendricks, um, and he may be done. Uh, another soft tosser who relied on pinpoint control, getting hit, uh, negative WAR for the first two months. Not looking good for Kyle Hendricks. And to our previous point, he's on a fixed contract, which means, you know, that's not. Um, like the performance is going down faster than the money is going down, so his value is going down. Um, so, um, so that's not a good look. So, so the Cubs who might be interested in trading him because they're not a contender, um, they might have to kick in some money for anybody to be interested at this point. Um, Marco Gonzalez of the Mariners is sort of a similar case, not quite as bad, but he has been declining. He's also another soft tosser who. Got off to kind of a slow start. Um, not to say that the Mariners would be trading him because it's still sort of unclear whether they'd be buyers or sellers. But I did want to mention him. He's sort of a sort of similar version of Kyle Hendricks and similar story there. A um, couple other decliners. Patrick Corbin is off to a terrible year. We mentioned that earlier. Uh, really bad contract. And some, sometimes these negative value contracts, at least there's positive value in the field value category, uh, but it's just the number is too high. Um, and the salary is too high. In this case, it's true that there's still a little bit of positive value based on his previous track record, but that's going down. It's in the single digits, and he's still owed 50, 60, whatever it is, million dollars. Um, so uh, that's a negative value case. Um, and then you have some guys who um, in the offseason got big deals. Robbie Ray, Jose Barrios are off to really not so good starts. Um, not that they're trade candidates necessarily, but I just wanted to mention them, is they're not performing up to expectations or their salary. Um, Sonny Gray got hurt. And this is an interesting case because, you know, when that trade happened between the Twins and <clears throat> and the Reds, it seemed really off in our model. Like, we had Sonny Gray in the 20s, and he was traded for Chase Petty, a pitching prospect who was somewhat risky in the single digits. So we were way off on that one. If you did that today, that trade would be pretty close because Sonny Gray's injury issues um, have dropped his value significantly. Meanwhile, Chase Petty seems to be pitching well, and maybe we think he is a qualified starter going forward. So that actually is like sometimes our model is a step behind what the front offices know, and maybe the the um, the Reds front office knew something about Sonny Gray that we didn't in terms of his back issues or whatever. So 
you know, uh, that's an interesting case from that standpoint. Um, our our friends who are fans of the Cleveland Guardians are not happy with us because uh, two of their pitchers went down significantly, Cal Quantrill and Zach Plesac. Um, you know, their their peripherals are not good. Um, if you look at their savant pages, you see a lot of blue, which is not good. Um, that means they're cold, as cold as ice can be in a lot of these peripheral categories that oftentimes have predictive value for what they're going to be. And so, um, you know, they're predicted to be not so good going forward. So our model is based on more sort of projected of what you're going to get if you traded for them. And both those guys have gone down. Um, let's see, who else? Chris Flexen, who was an interesting story last year, has sort of come back down to earth. And now there's even a question of, you know, um, would he have any positive value for next year? Um, Brandon Woodruff has been in the news recently because he's had some injury issues. Um, he was in the triple digits, and now he's starting to fall because of those injury issues. Um, and um, he has a weird sort of, um, I can't remember the name of the diagnosis, but so kind of a numbness or tingling in his hand, which may cause him to grip the ball not so good, so well, which is the whole point of a pitcher, being able to grip the ball, to get spin, to get the move, ball to move. And if he can't do that, oh my gosh, that's a bad thing. We don't know. We're not health experts. I'm not an expert in obscure diseases, so I don't know how badly... That's going to affect him. Some say not at all. Some say, well, who knows? Um, but that's an interesting case to watch. Um, and Josiah Gray, I just wanted to mention off to a bad start. He was the one of the key pieces in the uh, trade Turner, Max Scherzer trade with the Nats and Dodgers last summer. Uh, hasn't quite found his groove yet at the, at the uh, major league level, although he still has some talent. He's a post-prospect guy. So his value is coming down, but it's still, you know, it's in the 20s. Um, I will pause there for comments and then I'll take, I'll do the reliever. All right. Yeah. Um, I think the only really ones I have to make are Quantrill and Plesak. Uh, we mentioned them last time. And so not a great sign for them to be declining in, in back-to-back months. Uh, they, they really need to turn it around. <laughs> um, and then Kyle Hendricks, we pretty consistently had his value lower than a lot of people think it would be. And we've gotten some pushback on that, but I mean, it it seems like we, I, I'm not going to take a victory lap on a guy nearing the end of his career or anything like that, but it, it seems like we, we had it in the right direction. And, you know, it, you can, you can argue against that if you want to say, oh, his value was higher. And then of course, when he pitches poorly, it's going to go down. But this was always the, the problem was that he didn't really have much room to go down, especially given the salary. So yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that one as well. But I think that's that's all my notes on the on the starters. Okay, um, on the reliever front, and I'll be quick with this. Um, Andrew Crit- Kittredge, yeah, I'm saying his name right. Andrew Kittredge of the Rays, Rays closer, uh, one of the best stories, one of the best finds in the last couple of years. Um, you know, his value was in the high teens, and then he got injured, and um and now he's having tommy john and he's going to be out for the remainder of this year and most of next year as well so that he only had i think less than three years of control so maybe they get him for some of maybe a teensy bit of the end of 2023 and who knows if it's successful he'll have you know some you know some value in 2024 but that really killed his value really really and that can do it and you wipe out 18 months that can do it um <clears throat> Matt Barnes really struggling with the Red Sox. Um, I'm sure Ryan Bloom, uh, GM of the Red Sox, is not happy with the fact that they extended him last year, after which he turned into a pumpkin, and it's the arrow still going down. Red Sox fans know this. 
Like, what the heck happened with Matt Barnes? He used to be so consistent and so effective, and now he's completely lost it. Um, and he's on a fixed contract, which means he's owed a lot of money still, so that's not a good situation. Um, another one of the relievers, I just want to point out, Jake Diekman was a free agent signing this offseason. He's had an up-and-down career. He has stretches where he's really great and stretches where he's he, he, his sweeping slider just doesn't hit the strike zone, and that seems to be what's happening. And so he's not off to a good start, and so that money that they've spent on him on a two-year contract is um, that's negative value right now. And then uh, lastly, um, Phil Maton. Do I have his name right? Phil Maton? I know there's two Matons. Uh, the guy in the Astros. Astros reliever. Yep, that one's Phil. That one's Phil. Yeah. Thank you. I'm bad with first names today. <laughs> Phil Maton was traded for Miles Straw last summer, and he was an effective reliever, um, but he has not got found his groove at all this year. Um, his numbers are terrible this year. And so it seems like the, the Guardians are happy with that deal because Miles Straw seems to be performing well for the most part. They even extended him. They like him as their center fielder going forward. As Unfortunately, Matan went from an effective sort of seventh-ish, eighth-inning reliever to now he's not effective at all. Um, and relievers are volatile, we know. And so this is another sort of example of hundreds of examples of relievers being good and then not good. And we try to match that and sort of split the difference, but um, his value is down. So those are just a few examples. Yeah, on Kittredge specifically, I want to just just mention once again an idea that we've discussed a lot of times on the podcast about just the importance of the now for relievers of, of the current moment. You know, a, a year of a reliever, as the saying goes, a, a year of a, a current year of a reliever in the hand is worth three in the bush, or how, <laughs> however you want to phrase that one. Um, the whether it's whether it's their current performance or current availability or whatever, so much of a reliever's value is tied up in the current year or in this year and the next year. It, it's teams aren't projecting unless you have one of those elite elite guys, you know, and a role to. Uh, Roldis Chapman from a handful of years ago, or, uh, you know, if, if David Bednar keeps this going another year and he just starts to show that he is just a stud reliever and that's who he's going to be, then yeah, maybe a guy like him as well. But unless you're in that kind of upper class, teams aren't necessarily projecting too extensively or placing too much value on what you're going to do for them three or four years from now. And we saw that that was why we were off on a, on a few of the trades that we made. You know, the John Curtis one specifically comes to mind because he had like four years of team control and he was pitching pretty well, but not an established guy. And, you know, there's reason to doubt the extent of his current success. And so it's like, OK, why do we really care too much that he has a fourth year of control if we have no idea whatsoever if he's going to be any good in that fourth year? Um, and so the reason I bring that up now specifically is for Kittredge, because you're talking about like he, he was very effective for them last year and I, I believe he struggled a bit this year and, and maybe that was regression maybe that was the injury whatever but there's even if there were teams that were interested in oh let's buy low on him right now because he's injured but and we can wait a year or whatever uh, it's it's still just not an attractive picture because you have no idea what he's going to look like when he comes back and you have no idea what he would look like the year after that so it, it's it's not quite the same calculus as it would be for a starter or for a position player who has to miss a full season or a season and a half or whatever this ends up being. And it's, it's just a reminder that taking out the current year of a reliever or tanking the current year of a reliever with some poor performance or whatever is just going to have drastic, a drastic impact on their trade value. 
Yeah, and, you know, hopefully if you're, in his case, you know, he comes back just fine in 12 to 18 months or however long it is, and he still has a few good years left in him, and I hope so. But from a trade value perspective, it pretty much killed it, to your point. Because he's only he only has two and a half years of control left, so the only thing that really has any potential value is twenty twenty four, and that's so far out to your point that you know it only has a little bit. So his value is down to like one point six or something like that. So um, yeah, major tank job there. Yeah. All right. Was that all for the uh, pitchers? Yep. Cool. So I have two fallers, and then I actually have four more risers that I. <laughs> Didn't, that I missed the first time through. They were on a different tab, and I overlooked them. So we're going to start with the with the fallers, though. Um, I already mentioned Joey Bart. Otherwise, he would have been included here as well. Um, but just two other significant ones that I think are worth mentioning. Uh, first is Akil Badu. He is down to 13.3. It's not a massive drop. He was at 19.9 uh, prior to the update, down to 13.3. And he was demoted to AAA. I, I believe he came back at least for a stint since then. I don't know if he's currently with the team. I guess I could check that. Um, but he isn't hitting at all this year. And, you know, he was already a bit of an interesting case in that he was a Rule 5 guy who was kind of plucked from... Yeah, he's back in AAA right now. Uh, but he was he was plucked from the Twins. He hadn't really performed in the upper minors at all. He hadn't played in the upper minors and was pulled to the big league team and was a slightly above average hitter he had a 108 wrc plus he was worth 1.8 wins above replacement he showed some power some speed some defense and so you know he looked like an interesting player but he swung and missed a little bit too much and you know there's just so much uncertainty with kind of the shape of his career to this point and he wasn't a mega prospect or anything and so there's reasons there were reasons heading into this season to doubt the performance a little bit and to have some questions and he didn't really come out and put any of those questions to bed in any kind of way. He he came out and he he stunk the bed. Yeah. So uh, he his his value has tanked. Not tanked. Tanked is a strong word. His value has decreased. Um, especially with the option just kind of indicating a loss of faith by the team or or a belief by them that he needs some to figure some things out in AAA. And keep in mind, this is the Tigers. Uh, now, yeah. I know they had hoped to compete this year, but, you know, uh, all indications are that they're not quite there yet. So if they're going to, if they still believed a guy could be fixed at the major league level, they might want to give him some reps at the major league level, considering they may not be contenders this year. So that's something to keep an eye on, too. Yeah, for sure. Okay, and then the other one is a somewhat similar case here. Um, this Alex Kirilov with the Twins. Uh, he's down to an 18.2. Previously, he was at 30.8, so that's a pretty significant dip. He, too, was optioned to AAA. He's had some trouble staying healthy as well, um, and he just hasn't... He was thought of as a pretty advanced bat as he came through the minor leagues, and, you know, Fangraphs gave him, on the whole, a 60 future value, which is not nothing. <laughs> they don't they don't just hand those out. Um, but then last year, his, his MLB debut, or his first full season I should say he actually I'm pretty sure he debuted in the playoffs in 2020 uh, but his first full season last year didn't really set the world on fire 93 WRC plus and then just couldn't get it going at all this year uh, 18 WRC plus in, in 32 plate appearances and, and like I mentioned he's had some injuries in there as well he is tearing it up at AAA to his credit so I mean maybe it's a small sample type of thing and and you know once he gets his reps in the big leagues 
he'll be the guy that that he looked like he was in the minors and so I think there's a very real chance I, I have much more faith in this number rebounding than I do in Badu uh but for now at least you know he's looking like he's looking like a prospect who's going to need a little bit more seasoning and he's already 24 and a half and so he's kind of getting up there the the last year due to the pandemic really hit him hard as it did many other players um but he's just a little bit older than you'd like for a guy like this who who needs to take another shot at the minor leagues and so that that impacts his value yeah and as time goes on you know the more um he doesn't perform you know the more his value is going to go down i probably should say the 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 less he performs the less he's worth <laughs> you know because it's a negative um and you know joe adele is another one i would sort of keep an eye on as well to sort of yeah i think we have him down to like six now and he was just optioned down to triple a yet again um you know so there's a guy who's had multiple chances who um even more than kirillov who still hasn't put it together yet and there's only so much rope a team's going to give you so and at a certain point after a while your prospects you know value is going to erode you either have to put up or shut up at the major league level to be blunt and if you don't, you know, you're going to end up on the trade block with uh, not a whole lot of value. Yeah, Adele is one that I definitely would have would have been identified here. Um, but he had actually been updated, I think, in like mid-May or so. And so the, the decline from his mid-May value to his new beginning of June value wasn't as steep as it would have been if it was from his start of May value to his start of June value, if that makes sense. Because uh, you went in and manually updated him when he was optioned and and so yeah so the, the dip didn't look quite as far but yes he's he's continuing to decline which is not a great sign and he was actually optioned yet again today so okay well we can at least end it on a higher note for the updates uh with these <laughs> last four bonus hitters uh so josh naylor he's hitting very well and his value has increased accordingly uh went from 12.7 to 26.2 uh then Jerickson Profar, he's been a pretty productive player for the Padres. Um, he seems to have kind of found himself a role in left field after really having some issues defensively on the infield. Um, he's gone from negative 4.1 to positive 6.4, and that means that his 2024 uh, option is now included in his valuation, uh, which is notable. Austin Riley, he's been very, very good once again, and so the more the more that his positive performance which really started last year but the more that his positive performance continues to outweigh the slow start to his career the more his value can just spike so he's gone way up and then jonathan scope every year he seems to have a month where he just goes nuclear and you can't get him out and he's hit he hits 12 home runs in a month or whatever and it seems like he kind of had one of those hot streaks in may and he had and so some he... some interesting um stat cast uh outs above average numbers as well. Mm -hmm. I think he was the top defensive second baseman by their measure, which is like what? So mm -hmm. that helped too. Mm -hmm. and, and of course the usual early season defensive metrics caveat applies, but we're, uh, we're yeah. getting into the season. You know, once once we get into another month, month and a half or so, I don't want to say that those numbers become, you know, the law and they can't change or anything, but they become pretty substantial and they become the numbers that teams are going to have to use when they're evaluating these guys. So they've kind of become necessarily important. Um, but yeah, scope went from negative 1.6 to positive 5.9. Nothing crazy, but uh, he's a potential trade chip, although I believe he's been a potential trade chip for the last four or five years and, and he doesn't always get traded. So. And he's a second base guy, which yeah. tends to have, you know, not a lot of interest on the market. 
I wonder, and this is purely just spitballing, I wonder if that effect is muted a little bit this year, in particular, by the expanded playoffs. I wonder if with more teams thinking they might be in it and, you know, generally more competition, there might be more that are willing to say, okay, well, we can't get this star player at this position, so we'll add a guy like like Scope and... He might be a super sub type or we'll work him in somewhere between second and first base, work guys around like teams might be more willing to get flexible and say like, okay, we trust that his bat will be good. We'll find him some playing time. We know it's not a perfect fit, but it's better than overpaying for this guy or or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the bat is the key, you know, if, you know, because I think teams want a bat at second base. So a defensive guy with not so much bat, a Colton Wong type, is not going to draw a whole lot of interest. Uh, not that he's a candidate, but that type. Um, but a bat would, yeah, if he keeps hitting. Um, you know, Tommy Lestella was a deadline guy a couple years ago, so you could see it. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any final thoughts on updates as a whole or any players in specific, anything like that? No, other than the fact that um, we are trying to improve our our efficiency behind the scenes. And so in the hopes that we can start to update more often, um, you know, if um, if we did it the old way, we'd be doing it, you know, once a month still. We're hoping maybe to do it a little bit more frequently, but we'll see how it goes. So, so to the point where you'll start to see these changes smooth out a little bit and also be a little bit more frequent yeah this was already from from a back-end standpoint this was already a much with a few hiccups in there but in general a much more efficient much smoother process than it had been previously and i think there's a lot of ways we're going to continue to improve it and that just means you know easier updates and more frequent updates on your end as listeners as site users so uh, things are getting better and will seemingly hopefully continue to improve Yep. Okay. It seems like we have a little bit more time. Do you want to run through this article? Uh, I guess real quick. Yeah. Cool. So this isn't this isn't quite about an article, and this isn't quite along those lines. Uh, this is just more one for us to sweep through really quick. Uh, give our thoughts on it. It's MLB.com from June sixth. One trade chip for each team. Pretty simple. We're not going to go too in depth on any of this. We're not going to be reading the blurbs, but it's one of these roundtable articles where they have the beat writer for each team contribute their their input for their specific team. And so uh, just team-by-team breakdowns of, of a player or players uh, who might be trade chips on each team. And so we're going to just take a look at each one, give our thoughts, you know, and give kind of our idea of where their value actually is uh, compared to where some in the media might perceive it to be. So we'll go through this fairly quickly. Starting with the Blue Jays, as we mentioned before, they have a wealth of catching depth, which was submitted as their as their trade chip. Um, so Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk are the main two guys at the big league level. And then Gabriel Moreno was just called up to the big leagues today. And he's a very, very good prospect. He's one of the best in the game. And so theoretically, if, if the Blue Jays were to make a big move, I could see them maybe moving a catcher. Uh, but it's really going to depend on Jansen's health. And I mean... It would only be for a really big move because, as we just kind of described, Jansen and Kirk are both way up in trade value right now. You're not going to move them for anybody, you know, shy of a probably of a Luis Castillo or Frankie Montas. And even then, Kirk has higher value than both of them. And I think Jansen might be getting there as well. And so I'm not really seeing it there. Um, and especially if Jansen's going to have these injuries, you probably don't feel too comfortable moving any of them right now. Yeah. Uh, and that's the case, and you know you can sort of, well, 
And Moreno has some defensive versatility, so you might be able to work his bat in without necessarily playing him at catcher. Um, but, you know, obviously if you look at them and they've got, wow, um, an embarrassment of riches at one position um, in a position that a lot of teams need help with. Um, but, yeah, um, we'll see with um, with Jansen to what degree the injury becomes more of an issue. Like, he seems to be a victim of these sort of weird one-offs. Like, it doesn't seem to be a consistent pattern of, like, usage injuries, um, which is why, you know, we haven't really, you know, applied that risk factor too much to his to his profile. Kirk, on the other hand, seems like he's more of a DH type, um, but he's been mildly, surprisingly good defensively. In addition to the fact that he can rake, it turns out he can catch a little bit too. So, okay, so you do have an embarrassment of riches here, and so I do see there's a case to be made for trading one of these guys, um, but, you know, it's probably too early to tell to see how it shakes out. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm going to lump the these next two in together. Uh, Orioles, the choice was Trey Mancini, and the Red Sox, the choice was J.D. Martinez. They're not identical cases, especially because with the Red Sox, who knows what happens there. Um, it seems like they're hitting a little, or they're playing a little bit better in recent weeks, and so maybe they're pushing their way into into contention and not not selling. Um, you, John, actually wrote an article about the Red Sox a few weeks back and the argument that they should sell and what can happen if they do. Um, I'll go ahead and link that in the show notes. But I'm lump- I'm lumping these two in together because they're both rental DHs, and I think. Everybody, the vast majority of folks in baseball media and baseball fans are overestimating how much they would net in a trade. We have both of their values as pretty low, even despite strong starts to the season from both of these guys. So, I mean, I don't deny that either of them could be a trade candidate. I just, uh, I think expectations should be muted. Yeah, I'd be less surprised if Mancini was moved at this point because it seems like the Red Sox haven't quite, you know, there, there are signs of life there to your point. Um, you know, and the Orioles are, you know, getting a little bit interesting, but but Mancini is a fan favorite, so you could say, uh, you know, because his value is not going he's not going to bring much as a rental, mostly DH, you know, got some issues, you know, you know, he had a little bit, particularly a cold stretch last year in the second half where he seemed to sort of tire out, barely hit it at all. Um, so I think teams would be wary of that. So they're they're not going to get anything in return that's of significance. So they might as well just keep him for sentimental and fan favorite reasons. Cause you know, what's the point? Yeah, I agree. It, it, it would really upset the fan base considering he means more to the fan base than the typical fan favorite with the whole cancer story and everything there. So, okay. And then not too much on either of these last two AL East teams, the Rays, the selection is middle infield prospects slash second baseman slash third baseman Xavier Edwards, which we've discussed at length how deep they are in the middle infield at the big league level and just all the way down their farm system. I think the one potential caveat there is that Wander Franco is hurt. I don't think it's expected to be a long-term injury or anything, Um, but at least in the immediate right now, maybe they don't want to move some of their big league depth at the position while they're still trying trying to patch it up while he's on the injured list. Um, And then last one in the division is Yankees left-handed pitcher Ken Waldachuk. I don't really have much to say here other than there there's a very, very slim chance at all of them trading Anthony Volpe and, and probably Jason Dominguez as well. Probably Oswald Cabrera as well, considering that they hung on to him through the offseason. Um, so all of those guys, I, I wouldn't expect to be moved. Uh, I, I could be surprised. And if they if 
of that bunch i mean i i volpe's volpe's off limits right yeah he is um yeah and but, he, after a little bit of cold start but he's picked it up yeah yeah so i mean yeah ken waldachuk uh, everson Pereira. i haven't seen his performance lately but he was a trade chip in the offseason but yeah not not a whole lot to add there. i mean i could i could see waldachuk being moved um you know they're not happy with hicks and gallo who've been underperforming and the yankees fans have been calling for their heads um but you know they've shown signs of life they both you know hit a little bit in the last week or so so i don't think brian cashman is is like super eager to push the button and move them not that he would get much for gallo and hicks is deeply underwater anyway so that's hard to move you know but you could see you know okay uh, maybe um ian Happ being of interest to them and i will get to that but that would require more than just Waldachuk. But I could see my point is I could see Waldachuk being a piece that they could move for a for an outfielder uh, if they want to shore that up a little bit. Yeah, especially since we are flying through this, I'm not too interested in you know go, going into the weeds of like oh this this prospect and this prospect and this prospect could be the package for this team and not just Walt like for for this article. Like, okay, yeah, sure, they could move this prospect that isn't one of their top three. I feel like that end of it's a little bit easier to come up with Yeah. versus I, I'm I'm intrigued with both the sellers and some of the buyers that are in kind of a selling or a flipping position, you know, like the Blue Jays with the with their catching, their major league catchers. Like, that's interesting to me and, and like the near big league Rays. Because, um, yeah, it's pretty easy to say like, yep, this, this – Number five, number five ranked prospect. If they want to buy someone and they're not moving any of the off limits guys, they could move him like that kind of thing. I don't know. Uh, we're moving on to the AL Central. I'm trying to keep a good pace through this. Guardians, middle infield prospects or shortstop Ahmed Rosario. Again, I don't think we need to go too deep in on this unless you have a comment on on Rosario or any of the prospects specifically. But this is an area of depth that John identified early on last off season and. I don't know about him, but I, I was frankly pretty surprised they didn't move from them at all during the off season. Uh, but yeah, they just have way too much going on up the middle in the in, on the big league team and in the minor leagues, and something's got to give. And and there's more coming, so there's going to be a roster crunch issue there. So particularly in the middle infield, so there's got to be some moves there coming. So I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm more interested in who they could end up trading for, but that's not really <laughs> that that's a topic for another episode. Uh, Royals left fielder Andrew Benintendi yeah makes sense he's been he's cooled off a lot because he had a crazy hot BABIP start to the season uh, but he's a pending free agent he's a contact bat and not a whole lot else uh, they're they're not going to get a ton for him I'm pretty sure this writer and Rogers here is expecting more than than he would get the end quote of this is while he will be a rental, the Royals should lock up a decent trade package for him. They'll be looking for high-level prospects with an emphasis on pitching, third base, and the outfield as they look toward the future. Uh, the Royals have been a mess on the pitching standpoint. They drafted a whole lot of talented young pitchers, and they haven't turned any of them into anything yet. Uh, so, I sure, I could see them move Benintendi for a pitcher. Maybe the team like the Padres that's looking to get a little bit more left-handed could be interested. Uh, but they're, they're not getting a ton for him. I can pull up his trade value here. It's, it's not high. Yeah, they would get a middle, you know, like a 45-level prospect and, and another piece. Yeah, it, it, with the hot start, his trade value is up to 11.5. It was much lower prior to, to the strong start to the season. Um, and it's only going to go lower from here as we get toward the deadline and, and he loses months on that. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. 
Okay, next team here, Tigers, outfielder Robbie Grossman. Grossman's been terrible. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Sure, they can flip him for the salary relief and maybe a an infielder. And, and yeah, there aren't too many other names here other than Jonathan Scope. And the Tigers have, like I mentioned before, they've shown a tendency to hang on to Scope. When, even when they could move him, they seem to really like him. So, yeah, not a whole lot to say on that one for me. No, Grossman's been terrible this year. I don't see much interest from other teams there. Mm-hmm. Twins, infielder, outfielder, Austin Martin. Uh, I personally agree with this. I thought he made a lot of sense as a centerpiece for a Frankie Montas package in the offseason, and maybe he still does. Um, he has been off to kind of a disappointing start to the year in AAA. The power just isn't there at all. He still has really good plate discipline, but he was a guy who was, you know, a doubles guy, and it was expected those doubles would get over the wall as he kind of matured, grew into his power, and that isn't quite happening yet, so maybe a bit concerning there. But yeah, he's a guy who doesn't really have a defensive position, and they they have a pretty decent farm system and, and crop of young major league players uh, on the offensive side, and the pitching has been better than people expected, but it's also very injured right now. Uh, Sonny Gray is just one of many, you know, I think Bailey Ober, Joe Ryan, Josh Winder, uh, they're all hurt as well. So. So definitely a guy they could move to try and address that if if teams are interested in him right now or if or if they're willing to make that commitment to him. Yeah, his value has declined. Um partly it's because he's a tweener defensively. I'm not sure where he's gonna be. Most experts seem to say he's gonna probably be a second baseman. But yeah, if he doesn't have the power that you thought he would, um you know, he's just going to get by on singles and, you know, walks. And that's not, you know, super attractive anymore. So, um, yeah, his value was declining. According, you know, interestingly, both the pieces that came in that Jose Barrios trade last summer, uh, Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson, have declined, as has Barrios himself. So, interesting how to look that, at that one now. Yeah, that's one where, you know, we mentioned the Sunny Gray trade where maybe – Maybe the model was a little bit slow on it. Maybe, you know, we didn't have the injury info. I wouldn't quite go to that point with the Barrios trade. I still feel pretty confident saying that at the time it was a really good return for him. Uh, just given that, you know, that was kind of industry consensus, consensus was, whoa, this is this is a lot. And, you know, maybe it wasn't a massive overpay or anything now that we know what we know <laughs> that has happened since then. Uh, but I still think it's fairly reasonable to, to consider that trade a, at the time, at least a pretty good one for the Twins. Yeah. Okay, last one in the AL Central, White Sox, it's pitching prospects is listed. Um, again, we talked about the White Sox a lot in the past, where if they're going to get anything big, it's going to cost them Andrew Vaughn, and otherwise they're just going to have to piece something together with, with you know, the handful of prospects they have that are, you know, above $5 million in trade value, which is only only a few guys. So yeah, I don't know what they're I, talking about there. There's not much. It's really slim pickings and pitching prospects, so they're not going to get a whole lot in return for them. I mean, I guess, I guess if if the White Sox beat writers are as convinced as some people with the team that Andrew Vaughn isn't going anywhere, I guess that's kind of all they can move, unless we start to talk about them as potential sellers, and I don't think we're quite ready for that conversation yet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the, the, Vaughn. <laughs> if they want to win, if they think they can win right now, I think Vaughn. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, they're, they're just gonna be playing piecemeal with some of those little prospects. Okay, AL West. Angels outfielder Joe Adele. I disagree with this one pretty sharply. I don't think, you know, I think it's we've we've used the term on the pod on this podcast already today. 
he's a falling knife. You know, there, I don't think there's going to be too many teams that are willing to buy in on that. And I don't think there's going to be a great chance of the two teams coming to an agreement because the angels are going to be sticking to, Oh, well he was a top five prospect in the game. And, and we know he's, his value's fallen since then, but that upside is still in there and other teams will go. Yeah. But what has he done since then? You know, what, what is he going forward? We don't care what he used to be perceived as what is he going to be for us? And so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think it's going to be a little while. What am I trying to say? I don't think now, at least with the current state of affairs and the current way that Adele is playing, I don't think they could line up on a deal with him. I, I could be wrong, but it seems unlikely to me. It seems more like a case of either he'll figure it out at least somewhat, maybe get a little hot and then be a trade candidate, or we get into the off season. He's finished up just a, a wholly disappointing 2022 season, and he gets moved for peanuts for a reliever or for a depth piece or whatever, just to kind of get a change of scenery type thing going on. Yeah. Or he's like a secondary piece like Christian Pache was in a deal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, Astros outfielder, Chaz McCormick. Um, the argument here is that Jake Myers will be returning from the injured list and they have a bit of a crowded outfield situation. Jose Siri, McCormick, uh, Alvarez and Tucker are, are stuck in there at either DH outfield. And so getting a little bit crowded and there's some minor league depth behind him, I guess it makes sense. I mean, McCormick seems like a pretty Astros type of guy, but then again, I might've said that about Miles Straw and they flipped him. So I don't know. I, I, I'll admit to not having followed the Astros particularly closely this season. Uh, so I, I don't have too much else on this one. They, maybe there's a prospect down there that makes more sense than McCormick, but it's inoffensive to me at least. I don't know. I, you know, Jose Siri, Jake Myers, these guys don't have a whole lot of value. They're sort of unproven. They weren't really top prospects or anything. And maybe Myers has something in the tank. He was he showed some signs of life last year, but so did McKinstry. I don't know. I don't follow these guys either. I don't think there's all that much difference between them. Um, you know, I don't think it's strong enough to say, yeah, but Myers is the George Springer replacement. Like, I don't think it's that. I think these are like swap in fourth outfielder types and see which one sticks. So, yeah, there's a cluster of them, but, you know, it's not like there's a superstar there. Yeah. Next one, A's, Frankie Montas. Obvious. I don't think we need to say too much else about him specifically. I think it's interesting to note a couple of the other guys that that are possibilities. Um, Sean Murphy and Ramon Laureano were the other two big ones that came up during the offseason. Murphy has not been great to start the year. Um, maybe starting to turn around a little bit more in the recent weeks, but... He'll definitely need to turn it around more for them to feel comfortable trading him for other teams to feel comfortable giving up significant pieces for him. Uh, but not, not unlikely from, for Murphy considering Langoliers, as I mentioned before, he's kind of knocking on the door. And then Loriano seems like he's off to an okay start uh, coming off the suspension. So maybe for him as well. And then the other name that's worth keeping an eye on that I did mention earlier in the episode is Paul Blackburn, uh, just because he's been such a surprising performer you know he's he's in the martin perez category i don't think anybody's fully buying it but teams might be desperate enough for pitching to send a couple prospects the a's way for him yeah and a couple of minor pieces tony kemp and lou trevino might attract a little bit of interest considering they're veterans and you know kemp would be a bench player on a contending team trevino would be you know, uh, middle reliever. Um, he's not having a great year. So, you know, his, his value is negative in our model, but there's a little bit of hope there if somebody, you know, wants to take a shot at him. But that's about it. 
Yep, they did most of their clearing house in the offseason. Mariners, Paul Seawald. I guess I could see this if if they do continue the way they are and, and dip into sellers. Um, another guy, if that were to happen, would be Adam Frazier. But we've talked extensively in previous years and previous podcast episodes about Adam Frazier's kind of muted trade value. Uh, but yeah, not not a whole lot else to elaborate on Seattle otherwise, other than it doesn't seem like Mitch Hanniger is a guy they'd be too interested in trading regardless of where they are. Um, so yeah, if, if they are sellers, it looks like Seawald is probably one of the top guys that would go. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> uh, Rangers, infielder, outfielder, Nick Solak slash infield prospects can definitely get behind infield prospects. We've talked about that in the past as well, about how just crowded they are up the middle with uh, some guys who are getting close to big league ready and stuck behind Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon up the middle. And Solak was recently optioned to AAA, and so maybe he's fallen out of favor. Another team takes a chance on him. Um, is there anyone I'm missing with the Rangers here? It, I, Cole, uh, Cole Calhoun, maybe? If anyone wants him. So, so the problem is uh, the Rangers figure to be um, sellers, but there's not much to sell. I mean, I can see that there's a logjam of infielders that are blocked, and so maybe there's some consolidation that has to happen there. It seems that seems like a okay, yeah, sure. Um, but you're gonna sell two or three prospects for one prospect. Like that's unusual. That doesn't typically happen. So maybe you package one of those guys with. You know, Martin Perez, for example, you know, and get something else back. They kind of did that last year when they traded um, Kyle Gibson to the Phillies and threw in Hans Kraus to get Spencer Howard. So something like that I could see. Yeah. I, I wonder if they're going to be kind of, in a weird way, competing with Cleveland in this kind of the market of if you want a young infielder, those are the two teams you go to. But yeah, it, and the Rays. Right. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's hard to find a good match on something like that, though, because who's going to want to... Because the Rangers will want a young big leaguer because they want to start competing next year. But who's going to want to give you a young big leaguer in exchange for three middle infield prospects? Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, so you uh, got to break them up and get creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, we're into the National League. Braves, outfielder Drew Waters. Um, I guess... Uh, his stock has just been kind of up and down, uh, but I guess they are kind of all out of other really tradable prospects, especially now that it seems like Michael Harris is a guy they really believe in. They they, they let him skip AAA, hauled him up to the big leagues, and he's looked pretty good, um, especially defensively. So I guess Squatters is kind of the next biggest piece, and you can see why you'd be soured on him if you are the Braves. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I guess they just have kind of i hadn't thought about it much until now but i guess they're kind of out of trade chips yeah they've, they've kind of tapped out their farm to some degree and you know good for them for identifying harris and bringing him up i mean it's kind of a risky move to skip triple a but he's performing really well and kind of shows you why they traded pache and you know maybe waters is another guy they've sort of soured on but their farm has sort of been sort of close to depleted and they still got a couple of pitchers there so you know, but there's no, like, after Harris, there's a big drop-off. And yeah, it's all sort of middle-tier guys and below. Yeah. Marlins, first base DH, Garrett Cooper or Jesus Aguilar, which, yeah, I've been pushing that one for a year now, year and a half. Like, it, it still remains weird. Even with the DH, it remains weird that they have both of these guys on the roster. Well, there's there's not uh, much value there, though. You really, yeah. you know, and they're both making some money. So, you know, they're probably bench pieces in a contending team yeah 
Um, but it, it wouldn't make sense to see one or both of them go if, if Miami stays out of the race. Um, everyone's going to be interested in their pitching. Sandy Alcantara is not going anywhere. They've pretty heavily committed to him, but there are some other guys in that mix that could, you know, I could see it happening where there's just not enough pitching on the market and they get into enough of a bidding war for one of those young Miami guys and, and pull the trigger on, uh, is Trevor Rogers still struggling? Uh, last I checked, he was, which was, uh, unexpected considering mm-hmm. how strong yeah. he looked last year. Yeah. Not looking good. Um, I know, I think Max Meyer just got hurt, um, but they've been really excited about him. He's been pretty good in the minor leagues. Um, I mean, it just goes to show you need the depth. Lazardo got yeah. hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cabrera, um, I think he's hurt as well and didn't perform well. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you know, there's some issues so, yeah. there. So we'll have to. That that's going to be one that is really going to come down to the wire. There, I'm not comfortable saying anybody at the moment for them uh, from the pitching side. And all, all the relievers have been terrible, so not a whole lot there either. Um, that's shortstop Ronnie Mauricio, um, which is interesting. I guess he is. He's pretty blocked up the middle by Lindor, but, you know, you figure maybe you can move him to second if you believe in him long term. Uh, I, I know he, his performance has kind of swung a little bit. Um, and Cohen's Mets haven't really moved any of their big, big prospects yet. Um, so I, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah, he's because he's still kind of a toolsy guy who hasn't really put it together yet. So maybe mm-hmm. they still can kind of sell high-ish on the tools before his before it gets too late. And if he doesn't perform, his value is going to drop. You know, to a rebuilding team who could maybe you know try to develop him a little bit more. I don't know, but there's some concerns about him. There's some holes there and uh, questions there. Um, which his value's yeah. dropped a little bit. He has a 3.8% walk rate in double A. He's, he's in double A as a 21 year old, which is impressive on its own. But yeah, I guess I see the argument that this isn't a guy where he necessarily has the bat to move to second base. I think a lot of the values in the glove and being able to play a solid shortstop. And if he's going to be blocked by one in Lindor, then yeah, maybe he isn't a fit for the Mets. But then that's just another, another middle infield option for teams that want one. Uh, Nationals, first baseman Josh Bell. Yep, makes sense. Not a ton of value there, but with his performance, he I believe he did push into the positives at least. Yeah, uh, he did. Which, Although he's yeah. pulled off a little bit, I think, last mm-hmm. Um But yeah, there's not a whole lot else there because they're not trading Juan Soto, as we discussed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, Tanner, maybe Tanner Rainey. You know, we'll mm-hmm. get a tiny prospect back. That's about it. Yeah, Nelson Cruz, if he can get his offense going again, but Again, that's going to be a pretty middling return. So not not a whole lot in Washington after they shipped out Turner and Scherzer last year. Kyle Gibson for the Phillies. Um, the Phillies are hot right now. Obviously, this article is from a few days ago. Uh, but the Phillies are hot right now. Uh, so, I mean, maybe. <laughs> but that they're going to be... They're one of those kind of middle teams where it's going to be hard to tell which direction they go until we get a little bit closer to the deadline. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say anything definitive in either direction for them right now. NL Central, Brewers, top outfield prospects. Uh, I guess the three they have listed here are Sal Frelick, Joey Weimer, and Garrett Mitchell, who are their top three. Um, and also lower in the minors, Hedbert Perez and Jackson Chorio. Uh, Chorio, I'd like to point out, he is flying up prospect lists right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. He is hot mm-hmm. as a pistol. Yeah. So 
he's an 18 year old with a 10 12 at least at the time of this article a 10 12 ops in single a which is impressive for a guy that none of us were really thinking much about a couple months ago no baseball america has been on it man they are mm-hmm. all over him mm-hmm. but yeah I, I could see the brewers finally getting aggressive here um they've been somewhat timid the last few deadlines and off seasons um they've been a, a quietly competitive team that doesn't really do too much in terms of big blockbuster moves uh they do things like you know giving up a couple of relievers for willie adamas and it works out really well for them stuff like that um but right now i mean they're a good team that's really hitting the injury bug they they've had a really hard time keeping the core of their team on the field at the same time uh i believe woodruff and peralta are both out right now and that's scary um, but they have a not a not a loaded farm, but they as as this mentions here, they have some outfielders they can move. There's a couple other names on that farm as well. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they got a little bit more aggressive at the deadline, especially if if certain players are still injured at that time and they're still in the race. Yeah, I agree with Frelick, and I think they want to hold on to Weimer because he's kind of hot. Um, but you know, I think Frelick will interest a lot of teams, and maybe they could live without him. Um, Garrett Mitchell has been sort of a falling knife as well because he needs a swing change. Um, he's got some tools, but he hasn't quite put it together, so there's some concern there. Um, so the interesting one, I think, would be Frelick from all points of view. Yeah. Uh, Cardinals, outfielder Corey Dickerson. I don't think so, unless we're talking about he gets DFA'd and traded for cash considerations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I think it's more likely they move one of, you know, a Juan Yepes type to add to the pitching staff or something there. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not on the Corey Dickerson <laughs> train there. Uh, Cubs, David Robertson. Yeah. Yep. David. You identified that. <laughs> David. <laughs> okay. Um, and I, I think, I think this pretty, this that pretty accurately identifies kind of what I was saying earlier that it's not necessarily clear that the Cubs will trade Contreras, even if they probably should. Um. So those two are going to be the two main ones to watch there. Maybe if Marcus Stroman can get something going, but right now he's pretty rough. Yeah, Ian Happ. Good, good call. Uh, Pirates lefty Jose Quintana. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he's the guy I was mentioning earlier in the Tyler Anderson mold of if you're not gonna if you're not gonna overpay for Martin Perez, go get Jose Quintana to eat a couple innings. He's got a little bit of value. He'll get a minor prospect mm-hmm. back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then Reds Luis Castillo. Yep. We we've talked about that at length. Not a whole lot to add there. All right, last division, NL West. D-backs, David Peralta. Um, he's a guy that I could see the D-backs just riding out, kind of in that in that uh, uh, Trey Mancini category, not quite to the same extent, and I don't think he has quite the value of Mancini. Uh, but even if even if the D-backs are out of the race, and even if you know Peralta's playing okay, I, I don't think he's going to get too much of a prospect. He's going to turn 35 soon. He's on a and... salary... But yeah. he hits left-handed, which is always sort of mm-hmm. interesting for some teams that need balance. Yeah, but he's also a guy that, you know, he's been a great story with the D-backs, converted pitcher, and I think they really like him there. And so I think that, that it's a case where that can just outweigh the middling reliever you'd get in return for him. Uh, Dodgers right-handed pitcher Landon Mack. Um, flip a coin, <laughs> toss a dice, whatever, about which prospect the Dodgers are willing to move and aren't willing to move, because there's some that they just properly identify, yep, that we're hanging on to these guys. Uh, so who knows? But, yep, shocker, the Dodgers are going to be buyers, and, and they have a lot of interesting prospects to move. That, that's that been the case each of the last five years. That's right. 
Giants, Randy Rodriguez is not a name I had heard of. Um, they're in a weird spot. Uh, they, they've had some injuries as well. They're, they've had some underperformance. Their defense has been quite bad, uh, but they're still in the race for sure. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're very similar to the Dodgers where there's some names in there that have some value in that minor league system. And it's up to them to identify which ones are tradable and which ones are part of the long-term core. Um, I yeah. don't think Bard is a candidate here for the same reasons we kind of addressed with Adele. Yeah, and this may be a case of a writer sort of just sort of saying, um, uh, okay, that guy, and not realizing he doesn't have much value. He's projected as a reliever. You know, Fangraphs raised him as a 40, Baseball America equivalent of a 35-plus. He's not a top prospect. He's not. We have him at 1.4, so it's not like you're going to get, you know, a huge you know, lift to your team by trading Randy Rodriguez. Yeah, for sure. And then two more, Padres, Luis Campusano. Wouldn't be too surprising. I feel like this is a bit of a, uh, I don't know. This situation's getting really difficult to judge. Because uh, Campusano, he just hasn't gotten much of a big league chance. And you you wonder if it's if it's a case of the Padres being in win now mode. And so they're really just riding the guys that they have. Or is it a case of, you know, the Luis Urias, Franklin Barreto situation where the team has fallen out of favor with him for a reason. And so the value should tank. I mean, he doesn't uh, quick math. He he's barely had 50 plate appearances at the big league level, despite, you know, he goes down to triple a and he's a pretty consistent above average hitter down there. And there's not a whole lot to not like. So it's a weird situation. And you know, if they have soured on him, then yeah, go ahead and trade him for some big league help and let some other team let him into the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, look, they're still writing Austin Nola, who frankly has not hit. And they gave him a lot to get Austin Nola, and he's kind of disappointed, frankly. You know, and if they're trying to contend seriously with the Dodgers and Giants, I, you could argue that Camposano isn't ready, so maybe they got to go with the veteran. Uh, but there's another, I agree, there's another sort of side of it, like, well, you know, if if the best you have is Austin Nola, that's not a hard, that's not a high bar to clear. Like, you know, they should have given Camposano a chance, and the fact that they haven't says that they probably don't have a whole lot of confidence in him doing that, being better than Austin Nola. Which tells you that, you know, it doesn't have as much value as other people might think. I think a lot of people are going to be liking Wilson Contreras to the Padres. I, I think that's going to be a pretty popular one. And then the last one, Jose Iglesias of the Rockies. Not a whole lot to add there. They they like CJ Crone and he's killing it in Colorado. So I don't know if he's really a guy they'd move. And there's not a whole lot else left there. They've never shown any interest in moving Herman Marquez. They extended Kyle Freelands. Yeah, I'm not not seeing anything else there. And I'm not sure who needs a shortstop. And even if they do need a shortstop, if Iglesias is any sort of upgrade. Like, you know, the Yankees are rolling with IKF, but he's a glove-first guy, so is Iglesias. Iglesias is basically just IKF, about more or less, with less control. So, like, uh, where else are you going to move him? I don't know. I would counter with Chad Cool. I just had to look up, well, first I had to look up who his name because i remembered the rockies signing a weird middling starter in the offseason and him performing well and i could not remember who it was but it's chad cool and then i had to look up his numbers and he's got a 370 era and you know the peripherals aren't great but he's pretty firmly in the in the jose quintana tier i would say you know yeah. innings and, and maybe they even see a, a potential successful move to the bullpen for him 
Yeah, I think it's a reach. He's been kind of, you know, not a nothing burger for his whole career. <laughs> it's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I I think there will be more teams with at least some level of interest in Chad Cool than in Jose Iglesias. Fair enough, because he's a pitcher. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we made it. Took longer than I expected. Are you surprised? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Anything else to add this episode? Uh, no. Awesome. That'll do it for this week, then. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.